Isn't it amazing to think about how we are just joining thousands upon thousands upon thousands of congregations all throughout the world in different time zones, in different cultures, in different languages, uh, all proclaiming the same declaration. He is risen. He is risen. Jesus Christ has conquered the grave. The darkest hour in the history of mankind, it's now past. Jesus has been crucified and his body is laying in Joseph's tomb. But as Sunday began to dawn, we pick up in verse 1, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Very early in the morning, the women who were last at the cross were now first at the tomb. The brightest day in history is now beginning to dawn. It was the day that would bring an end to all darkness. It would bring light, it would bring life, and it would bring eternal hope. It was the day Jesus Christ rose from the grave, forever conquering Satan, sin, and death. Continuing, verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now understand, no one visibly saw the resurrection happen, uh, the resurrection of Jesus that morning. No one visibly saw that. But by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew records what took place. If you recall, Jesus was with his disciples for 40 days after the resurrection, and no doubt there, was, there were some conversations that took place, and this information came to them as Jesus described what took place. And so Jesus Christ, he was crucified on Friday, and by Sunday, or sundown on Friday, his body was hurriedly prepared and placed in the tomb where he laid in the grave. But can you imagine what the disciples and the followers of Christ must have felt that Friday night and then on that Saturday? Because they realized that all their hope was gone. The miracles they saw the words they heard from Jesus' lips, it was all in vain, so it seemed, because Jesus is now dead. Now, Jesus had certainly prophesied and spoken of his death, but it kind of went in one ear out the other. It was over their heads. They did not comprehend it because they thought the Messiah would come to rule and to reign and to set up his kingdom on earth. So when Jesus was crucified, their hopes were crushed. They were devastated. But now we move from a difficult, sad Saturday to that glorious Sunday as the day began to dawn. Mark tells us in his gospel that the women were on their way to the tomb to finish preparing his body because Joseph was in such a hurry on that Friday. And so as the women were discussing who might roll away the stone and how that was going to happen, well, when they get there, they get a pleasant surprise. The stone was already rolled away. Only Matthew records this earthquake. Now, the earthquake didn't cause the stone to roll back. If anything, it was the angel rolling the stone back that caused the earthquake. And that was the second surprise that these women found when they, were, when they go into the tomb. There is an angel. And Luke and John, in their Gospels, they note that there were two angels. One was at the head and one was at the feet of where Jesus' body had laid 
And there were his grave clothes lying there as well. But the body of Jesus was gone. And these two angels, sitting at the head and at the feet of where his body was, it's seen as a picture of the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant. If you know what that looks like, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've seen what that looks like, where you have the two angels, one with their, both of them with their wings going towards the middle, and in the middle is the mercy seat. Well, God met us in the death of Jesus Christ, pictured on the mercy seat. So these angels, they're at the foot and at the, the head of where the body of Jesus had laid. And the stone is rolled away, not so Jesus could get out, but so these ladies could get in and to see that his body was gone. So they come that Sunday morning into the tomb. The stone is rolled away. They find the angels in the tomb, but one of the angels... He begins to speak in verses 5 through 7. And I want to use the angel's message this morning as my Easter message. The first Easter message ever preached was not preached by a pastor in a church, but by the angel in the tomb. And we find that here uh, in Matthew 28, where the fir- his first point, and of course, like the good angel would do, there's three points to his message, and we're going to pick that up this morning. <laughs> first, he says, fear not. Fear not, verse 5, but the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Verse 6, he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. The message of Easter and the message for us today is that we do not need to fear or to be afraid. There are so many people living in fear these days. And when you look out at the world, you might find good reason to be afraid of certain things. Right now, maybe you're in fear over some health issues. You've struggled or you have a family member who's continually struggled with health issues. Or maybe you're in fear of losing your job. Or maybe you're in fear over the economic situation, inflation, and rising interest rates and all of those things. You don't know how you're going to pay your rent or pay your next mortgage or how you're going to pay for groceries. These are all the fears that can come upon us, and many people live in constant fear all the time. Well, the angel's message and the message to our hearts this morning is that we don't need to be afraid. And the angel gives us two reasons why we don't need to be afraid. First, because Jesus died. Verse 5, For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now, the fact that he was crucified is really another way of saying he died because crucifixion leads to death. 100% of the time, if you're crucified on a cross, that person died. Everyone who was crucified died, and they usually died within hours. So it's another way of saying that Jesus died on the cross. I believe there are three, the three greatest events in human history are the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. Uh, We celebrate Christmas, the incarnation, when God became man in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and we know him as Jesus. Second, the crucifixion, when God died on the cross for man to pay for our sin. And third, the third one is the resurrection, when Jesus, the God-man, rose victoriously, defeating death. But the cross means Jesus, the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins. And a lot of us know that. We know that Jesus died on the cross, but we don't always stop to consider who he was and why he died. 
He was God in the flesh. He was the Son of God. And the reason he died on the cross was to take away our sin and to pay its penalty. If there's one word to describe, to best describe what took place on the cross, it's the word substitution. There was a substitution that took place. Jesus took our place. He died in our place for our sins, and our sins were laid upon the Son of God when he died on that cross. And Jesus can then give us his righteousness. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, To tell us, die, it is finished. It's paid for. It is done. So the reason he died was to pay for our sins. We don't need to fear because we could be free from sin's penalty and from sin's power in our lives. But the second reason we don't need to be afraid is because Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 6, he is not here for he is risen. For the first time, these faithful women heard what they didn't expect to hear, that Jesus had risen from the dead. That's the good news. In a world filled with bad news and fears, we have good news today. Jesus died for our sins so that we can be forgiven of our sins, all of our sins past, present, and future. And so we can be free from sin presently and future, in the future. And we have good news today that Jesus rose again from the dead so we can be righteous because he was righteous We can have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, given to us. It's been said that the cross was the payment, the resurrection was the receipt, proving that the payment was fully accepted. That's the good news. But some will ask the question, how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? How do we know? Well, let me give you five reasons that we can, how we can know Jesus rose from the dead. Number one, he said he would. Jesus told the disciples over and over again, I will be crucified, then three days later I will rise from the dead. He wasn't always clear about it, but the, further he, the closer he got to the cross, the more clear he became in that. He, he told a group of skeptics, the sign that I will give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. As he was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be three, nights, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was speaking of his death. Just as Jonah came out of the belly of the fish, Jesus would be resurrected. He also said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He was referring to himself that he would raise again three days later. So he told us that he would. He said that he would. Another reason, the tomb was empty. Notice again in verse 6, he is not here. He's not here. Jesus predicted he would rise from the dead, and when they went in that Easter morning, Jesus was gone. He is risen. The grave clothes were still lying in the shape of his body, so he actually passed right through them as he was resurrected. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a physical, bodily resurrection. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't a mystical resurrection. It was a physical resurrection. His body uh, metamorphosized and came out of the grave in an immortal, eternal body, a glorified body, and what a glorious truth that is. There's a third reason. Jesus was later seen alive. There were many post-resurrection appearances of Jesus over a period of 40 days after his resurrection where he appeared and disappeared and reappeared. 
One of my favorites is when Jesus appeared in the upper room with his disciples. They were all gathered together, and they were still fearful and not understanding what all had taken place. And Thomas, you know him as Doubting Thomas, uh, he said, unless I see the hands, uh, in his hands the prints of the nails and in his feet and I touch his side, I will not believe. And at that very moment, with all the doors locked and shut, Jesus appeared in the room and he says to Thomas, reach here, touch here, see this, touch and feel. And then it says, Thomas said, my Lord, my God. Amen. He believed. Thomas saw and was convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead. And the book of Acts says that Jesus proved himself alive with many infallible proofs. Here's a fourth reason. The conversion of Saul and many other uh, early New Testament conversions. Saul was a proud Pharisee, a Jewish man who was righteous in his own religion. And as he's on his way to Damascus uh, from Jerusalem... He's going to Damascus to arrest Christians, to have them imprisoned. He's persecuting Christians and even killing Christians. In Acts chapter 9, it says that there was a bright, a really bright light, brighter than the sun, and Saul was stricken to the ground, and he heard an audible voice from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And Saul immediately surrendered to Christ, whom he had been persecuting, persecuting, and he trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior at that very moment. Of course, we know him today as the Apostle Paul, who spread Christianity throughout the Roman Empire and wrote much of the New Testament that is given to us to instruct us in the Christian life. But let me give you one more reason we know that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The many lives that Jesus is changing today, he is still changing lives. He was crucified, Jesus was buried, he, Jesus rose, and then he ascended to the Father where he is exalted at the right hand of the Father, and he still lives right now to come into your heart and to, get, to change your life if you will allow him to come into your heart and make it your home. His home. If you invite him in, he will change your life. God's word says that if anyone be in Christ, meaning you've become a Christian, you've given your life to Christ, if anyone be in Christ, all things have passed away. Behold, all things are brand new. Jesus can come into your heart, he can forgive your sins and make you brand new. So, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we don't need to be afraid in life. We don't need to be afraid in death or in eternity. The Easter message is a message of hope because we don't need to be afraid to live this life because we're not afraid to die and we're not afraid beyond the grave. We know that we will be with the Lord. So the angel first says, fear not. Then he says, come see. Continuing in verse 6, come see the place where the Lord lay. That is an invitation. First, there was the command. Don't be afraid. Now there's the invitation. Hey, come check it out. See where the Lord lay. Jesus was always inviting people to come to him, to walk with him, to follow him, and might I add, to follow him all the way to heaven. 
It was, he was always inviting. He was all about invitation to the curious disciples when they asked, Teacher, where are you staying? Well, come and see. When the disciples kept the children away from Jesus, he said, Let the little children come to me. Welcome them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And to the rich young ruler who was curious about eternal life, Jesus said, Come, follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. My question for you is this. Have you obeyed this first word to come? It's such a refreshing word. Just come. It's so inviting. Because the religion of Jesus' day was not inviting. It was intimidating. It was not characterized by open arms. It was by, by folded arms. That's the way they approached it. It didn't welcome people. It kept people back. Their religious system was highly restrictive. Jesus spoke of the religious leaders of that day and said, these people crush you with their impossible demands, and they never lift a finger to help ease your burden. Their religious system was also overprotective. The scribes and the Pharisees spoke of the laws of God as being like a fence, that we need to protect people with the laws of God. It's a spiritual fence. But whenever you build a fence to keep people in, that same fence can, is keeping people out. And so many people of Jesus' day, they felt like they were being kept out, that they were being excluded. So it was highly restrictive, it was overprotective, and it was mostly negative. The Jewish system of Jesus' day made you feel like no matter what you did or how hard you tried, it was never enough. It was never good enough. When Jesus healed the paralytic man, and the man was healed. He picked up his mat, started to walk. He had never walked before. He had never done anything like that. He was totally healed. But what do the religious leaders say? Hey, it's the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to carry a mat on the Sabbath. They missed the point. They were so negative, pointing out the minutia of the law while ignoring the greater spiritual principle and the very heart of God. So imagine how refreshing it is when people heard Jesus come along and say, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Such different words. Have you come to him? I'm so glad that you've come here this morning to celebrate Easter, but have you come to him personally? Have you come to Jesus personally? His arms are open. That's the first word, come. Then the angel says, See, that's the second word. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. That word see, it means more than just observing. It means to perceive, to understand, to experience, or to encounter. Come check this out. Investigate this. So if the word come is a word of invitation, the word see is a word of investigation. This is an invitation to investigate the empty tomb. And listen, you don't say, come and see, if you have something to hide. You say, come and see, if you have something you want to show people. And I want you to know something about Jesus Christ and about Christianity in general. Christianity has nothing to hide. We invite anyone to come and to investigate the claims of Christ and see for yourself if Jesus isn't real, if he isn't alive and able to change your life. You personally Come and check it out. One of the disciples, Philip, said to his friend Nathaniel, Hey, we found him of whom, whom Moses and the prophets have spoken about, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, Come and see. 
Come and see. And we would say that to you this morning. If you've been living in the shadows, even of a religious system, we would invite you to come and see for yourself. Taste and experience if the Lord isn't real and if he can't transform your life. Because once you have come, once you have investigated, you will see. You will see for yourself. Trusting Jesus is not just a blind leap of faith into the abyss of religion. It is a thoughtful examination of the facts as they are presented. So come see. Years ago, there was a man who went on a medical missionary journey to China. He was an eye surgeon, and he had performed a very delicate operation on a man removing a severe form of cataracts. He had a severe case. But the man walked away seeing. About two weeks later, that same doctor was surprised when 48 more blind men were on his doorstep for the very same surgery. Some had traveled over 200 miles, all of them holding a rope that the, the man who had been healed by the surgery, he was leading them. He was leading them to the doctor who could open their eyes. All of them came that they might see. And they were led by the man who could now see. He could see. Now, the, the ladies go in. What are, the, what are these ladies going to see when they go into this empty tomb? Again, the word see means to look upon with, with understanding and comprehension. To think about the implications that Christ has risen from the dead. What does his resurrection mean? We've considered the facts of the resurrection, but what, did, what does it mean? I have six of these. One, it means that we have his pardon. We have forgiveness. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The implication is that Christ is risen, and we are not in our sins. The bedrock of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without it, it's pointless that we're here this morning. We have nothing to celebrate. We have no reason to meet next week or the next week. It's all about the resurrection. If you had the incarnation and the crucifixion without the resurrection, you would have no living Christ. And if you have no living Christ, then you have no living Savior. He could save no one. But because of the resurrection, our sins can be forgiven. So know this, this Easter, you can be forgiven. Do you know him as the risen Savior? If you believe and if you have placed your trust in Christ, you can know him as your Lord and Savior. And you can know the joy of having your sins forgiven. And you can have that assurance today. Here's the second thing that it means. It means that we can have his power right now. We can have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead because when we give our lives to Christ... The Holy Spirit comes to live within us, to dwell within us, to empower us to live the Christian life. We can have the same power. Maybe there are sins in your life, even as a Christian, where, where you felt bound, like certain things are controlling your life. It could be unforgiveness or pride or jealousy or hatred or, or certain vices that seem to control your life. Jesus can set you free. He came for that purpose, to set us free. He said, Who, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So we have his pardon, and we also have his power. 
Third, the resurrection means we have his purpose. The God who created you made you for himself, and our soul is restless until it finds its rest in the Lord. Until you come to know Christ, you'll never find fulfillment and true happiness. But when you put your hope in Christ, he gives you real purpose and true meaning for your life. Life isn't just about being born and then getting married one day and then maybe having kids and then you die. No, there is purpose to life every day, every moment. And Jesus can give it to you because he rose from the grave. Fourth, the resurrection means we have his presence the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 13:5, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And after Jesus rose from the dead and before he ascended into heaven, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So you never have to face anything alone. Even if you feel alone. Even if, if you're by yourself or you feel like it's all you. No, Jesus promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And Romans chapter 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life nor angels or principalities or powers. Nothing uh, in the present or things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because Jesus lives I am never alone, and you are never alone. Fifth, the resurrection means we have his pattern. Now, we see this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, where Paul writes, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus is the first of a long train of people who will be physically resurrected. Easter means that we have hope for the Christian. There's hope for the Christian when we die, that we're simply sleeping, as it were. We've gone to be with the Lord in our, in our spirit. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but the Bible says our bodies are sleeping, waiting for our bodily resurrection when the Lord will come and take us home. So Jesus then, in his resurrection, is a prototype. He is the first fruits of what we have to look forward to. Well, what does that all mean? Well, our friends and our family members, our, our loved ones who are in Christ, who died in the Lord, well, you'll, you're going to see them again. There will be a family reunion in heaven with you and your loved ones. There is that hope because Jesus conquered death and the grave. He rose from the dead, and that is the pattern that he sets. And finally, the, res the resurrection means that we have this promise. In John chapter 14, Jesus speaking says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, now he goes to make the promise. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. There's the promise. I am preparing a place for you in heaven. And then he promised he would come again and receive you to himself. So his resurrection means he's coming back. So he came to die. He went back to heaven. He's waiting and he's preparing a place for us to come again and this to take us home to be with him. That is his promise. 
And those are six things that his resurrection means. Come, see, investigate, look into it. There was a Muslim in North Africa who converted to Christianity. God had just radically transformed his life. And needless to say, his family was not too excited about that, that he had become a Christian. So his family and his friends approached him and asked, why would you leave Islam and convert to Christianity? And he said, well, it's like this. If you're going down a road and there's a fork in the road and you don't know which way to go, and there are two men at the fork in the road, one dead, one living, which one are you going to ask for directions from? And that's why we're here. We ask directions from the one who is alive. He is alive. So the angel said, fear not. He said, come see. And third, go tell. Verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples. Tell them what? That he is risen from the dead. The angels, uh, they, they want the invest, their investigation to become now declaration. Now that you've come and now that you've seen, now it's time to go and to tell. Tell others what you have seen. And listen, we have not just good news, we have great news. We have the best news. We have news worth telling other people about. So go tell people. And by the end of this chapter, Jesus will appear to his disciples post-resurrection and say, go make disciples of all the nations. And they did. And that's why we're here this morning, centuries uh, later. Um, he said, go tell them what you've seen. Tell, go tell them what you've heard. Go tell people about you, how your life has been changed. Tell people about the empty tomb and how it makes for a satisfied and contented, full life. And if that's your reality, go tell people about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus, that he is the object of our faith. He died, he rose, he lives, he is the object of our faith. It's not about how much faith I have and I can muster up in myself. No, it's all about Jesus and my faith is in him. It's all because of Jesus. In Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the object of our faith. He's also the source of our hope. There is no one else who can bring you such hope. No other thing can bring you hope. Whatever things you might have, none of those things can bring you hope. There's no religion that can bring you such hope. Uh, there, there, there's no good works that you can do to bring you this hope. And certainly the government is not going to bring you hope. Nothing else can help you but only hope in Christ. He died and rose again to bring us hope. And third, Jesus is the proof of God's love. He is the physical proof that God loves us. His death, his burial and resurrection are proof of God's love for us. And since these women were some of the few people courageous enough to publicly identify with Jesus up to the cross, it was an appropriate honor for them to be the first to go tell. As we finish verse 7, it says, Indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So Jesus wasn't simply raised from the dead. 
He was raised to continue a relationship with him. The angel could have said, he is risen and he's ascended to heaven straight away. Now, that's better than merely just knowing he's dead, but the truth was far better. He was risen to have a continuing and an ongoing relationship with his disciples and with us. In verse 8, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. So they did what Jesus said. And if you are a believer this morning, then you need to go tell. Not yet. Wait till the service is over. But as you're going about your day, as you're going about your life, to tell people what God has done in your life. Because you have a living Savior. He is alive. And he's, we have a message to proclaim to a dying world. Of all people on this earth, of all the women and men in this community, you have the best news to share. Better news than anybody else is sharing. So don't be afraid to share it. So if you are a believer, go and tell. But if you have not believed upon Christ, and I don't mean you don't just acknowledge his existence, but if you haven't given your life to Christ, if you have not trusted him for salvation personally, that he is your Lord, that he is your Savior, then that invitation is for you to come and to see. You must come first. Come, see, you are invited to investigate the claims of Christ and the reality of the resurrection. One of the greatest verses in the Bible, John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the hope that we have today in Jesus Christ, that God gave us his son, and if we believe in him, we will not perish but have everlasting life. So my question is, do you have the hope of heaven in your heart? Has he dispelled all of your fears? Do you understand that he died for you, that he rose for you and lives for you? Do you know the good news that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead so you can have a home in heaven? And if you're hearing that this morning, you're saying, well, okay, what, what do I do? What do I need to do? Simply believe in Jesus Christ, that he is risen from the dead. In that believing, you are acknowledging your sin, that you are a sinner, that you need a Savior, and you believe that Jesus is the Savior, and you commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to him. Life is short. Uh, scripture says that life is but a vapor of smoke that appears for a time, and then it vanishes away. God's Word teaches us to, uh, about the brevity of life, to number our days, uh, to, to consider how many days we have left, and understand his wisdom and apply that wisdom to our lives. And the wisest thing you can do is to be ready to die, to be prepared, because you know that your sins are forgiven, and you know that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus is the only hope. Buddha can't help you. Muhammad can't help you. They have nothing for you. They're dead. Jesus Christ is the only one who rose from the dead, and if you call upon his name, there is power available to transform your life. Would you bow your heads and pray with me?